1: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Today on the podcast, I'm joined again by Anna Tyree from English Like a Native, and we're going to have a conversation all about Monopoly. Yes, Monopoly, the board game that you probably played as a child with your family, The game that always takes ages and usually ends in a big family argument. I actually think this game is fascinating. We're going to talk all about it, including childhood memories, the rules of the game, strategies, the economics of it, the surprising history of Monopoly and some fun facts that you might not know about this game. So, listeners, you know Monopoly, right? Do you know it? I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe some of you are out there going, what's that? It's Monopoly. Most of you should know it's that game where you go around a board buying and trading properties, constructing houses and hotels in order to make as much money as possible from your competitors who are probably other members of your family who have to pay rent every time they land on one of your properties. The aim of the game is to completely dominate the market so that all the other players go bankrupt and you take all the money ultimately achieving the status of a monopoly, the one who has total market domination. And when that happens, you win and everyone else hates you. Monopoly is sold in more than 114 countries and has been printed in more than 47 languages. So there's a good chance that you know it. But still, I expect that some of you out there in podcast land have never really played it. And I suppose that Some of you have never even heard of it. Well, you're going to find out all about it today. And even if you are an experienced and hardened Monopoly player, hopefully you will still learn a thing or two from this episode. So, yeah, Monopoly is a board game. In the English-speaking world, it's one of the most well-known And successful board games, along with other classics such as Trivial Pursuit, Cluedo, Scrabble, Taboo, Pictionary and of course Chess, Backgammon and Drafts to name but a few. And listeners, Anna and I are actually going to record an episode all about board games in general. Uh, for Anna's podcast. We're going to do that after this recording. Um, And we're going to talk about classic board games, our memories of playing board games, possibly using board games to learn English. So that will be uh, available on Anna's podcast at some time, an episode all all about board games in general. But here for my show, we're focusing exclusively on Monopoly. Uh, There are loads of different versions of this game for different cities in different countries. In fact, there are over 300 different versions of Monopoly based on different themes, like, for example, Game of Thrones Monopoly, Star Wars Monopoly and Pokemon Monopoly and lots more. There is actually a lot to talk about here. Sure, it can be a frustrating game, but it is certainly one of the most enduring board games in the world And also, it is fascinating. So let's have a good long conversation about monopoly. All right, Anna. Hello. All
0: right. Hello. Nice to (laughs) see you again.
1: Still awake after that introduction?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you did monopolise the introduction, Uh, I noticed.
1: Very Mm. good. Yeah, I did. I did monopolise the introduction. Yeah, monopoly. Maybe we should explore, first of all, what the word monopoly means. You can have a monopoly and you can monopolise something as -hmm. well, can't you? Yeah. Well,
0: mono means one, right? So I think that kind of root helps to uh, explain the word. So if you are monopolising something, you are the one that's just taking over and dominating. So you monopolise yeah. a conversation or you monopolise the company, The monop- monopolise the guests. It's a tongue twister.
1: Monopolise the conversation. That is a good one. Mm-hmm. There's always one person in a party or something who dominates... The conversation; no one else gets the chance to say anything. Yeah, I monopolised the the podcast right at the beginning there with an introduction. Um, yeah. But also in sort of in terms of uh, economics and finance and society, you can have a monopoly, which would mm-hmm. be a company or a person who dominates the market, not allowing any competitors to to come in and and compete with similar services. Generally. Uh, monopolies are not allowed; they're they're prevented by different types of laws and things in theory. But anyway, uh, but how are you anyway, Anna?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've uh, I, I was telling you just before this podcast that um, my boys are now sleeping through the night, so uh, you know that makes life completely different you can see life in a completely different way when you've actually had some sleep and you're not a zombie um and it's also summertime and that always uh makes everything fantastic Mm, apart from the torrential rain i was working out in the garden uh not yesterday the day before because we have a like a think we call it like a gazebo it's a built wooden it's just a roof there's no walls and it's surrounded by a pond uh it's really lovely
1: this is is not your house this is this
0: is in our garden our garden in your garden yeah during lockdown we decided to rip out the entire garden design exactly what we'd like and we so we had this space that's like a dining room so we, we divided the garden into spaces or rooms and decided the function for each space in the garden so we used it And we have this gazebo, a wooden, beautiful wooden gazebo, uh, which has this deep pond that runs all the way around it and a little fountain at the side. So it's got the sound of running water. And we are supposed to use it as a dining room, but I can use it as an an office with my laptop uh, on warm days. And I'm sat there working away in the lovely sunshine and then suddenly... (sighs) Thunder, lightning, and just absolute torrential rain. It's like this is both wonderful and bizarre.
1: Yeah, welcome to England in the summer, where you can have sunshine, but it's not going to last that long. Yeah, normally gets interrupted by a shower at some point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is quite,
1: which is nice though. Anna, that is because because if you know, just in some places, just it's just perpetual the sun just blasting down constantly. And after a couple of days, that's, you know, you get the two days of that. It's like, oh, this is nice, sunny all the time. And then, and then after three days, you're like dying. It's a survival situation. <laughs> Oppressive <Yeah>. heat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Monopoly. Now I should give you credit for this topic because you came up with this idea and it's a great idea. You did contact me and say, "Why don't we do an episode about Monopoly?" And I was like, "All right, wow, random, but great." Yeah, I love the I love Monopoly. Uh, tell me about Monopoly and and you. Do you actually like Monopoly?
0: I I do and I don't. I used to love Monopoly when I was younger, when um, my family was smaller, when it was my mum and three kids, and it was simple and. When I played Monopoly, it was with more adults than children. And then the family grew when we became seven children. I was one of seven children. And Monopoly then was more about me playing with my younger siblings. Then it wasn't fun. Why not? not all. Well, you know, they can't all play very well. Some of them just cheat the whole time. You know, so you just, you're basically babysitting as the eldest of seven. You're just babysitting them and...
1: Oh. <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's a complex game for the young kids.
1: Yeah. And, and, and yeah, they're just going to want to pick up the houses and the hotels and eat them. And, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, and then you have to wait for it to come through.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And they're going to rip up the money and mm. eat that. And, you know, yeah, yeah, it's too complicated. Um, do you still play Monopoly today at all?
0: So I haven't played for quite a few years being a mum. Of younger ones but i 'm sure in about two years time, my youngest will be an age where we can reasonably sit down and start playing you know the more serious board games like Monopoly, and that will be the time to introduce it. Um, so I have played a few times as an adult with friends and family you know it 's one of those games that you bring out over dinner, well not over dinner, but after you 've eaten dinner mm. um, as a kind of social Uh, experience, you know, time to switch off the the phones and the screens and interact with one another while also um, bankrupting one another. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah. How about you?
1: Oh, I I absolutely love Monopoly. I think, um, so yeah, I played it as a kid as well, like you, and never really had a satisfying game of Monopoly as a child. Um, It was always sort of, it would always basically fall apart after a probably about 30 minutes Mm -hmm. Um, and I was never able to sustain a game of Monopoly with my friends or my brother and our cousins and stuff. It would always just, you know, the bits would always, the things would always get very messy and we'd lose concentration. But now these days um, we play Monopoly quite a lot with my parents. So when my wife and I go back home for Christmas or for holidays or whatever, we Monopoly is definitely one of the games we play in the evenings, and actually, so it's like
0: a tradition.
1: Yeah, it's kind of become a tradition. Yeah, and uh, we've had a Monopoly set um, at my parents' house for for years. It's been there for as long as I remember. It's one of the old. It's like a vintage Monopoly set that it's still you know cardboard box, but it's the box has survived. You know, it's been looked after fairly well.
0: Tape on the corners. Uh, No tape, tape, no cellar
1: tape on the corners. Amazingly enough, so it's in one piece, and uh, all of the cards and the pieces and everything are still there, still intact. So we're still using that old board even today. And I love Monopoly these days. I absolutely love it. I've got beyond the point where I find it frustrating, and I've got beyond the point because you know now I'm so old and uh, mature and so so wise, Anna, that I've I now. Have just decided to enjoy it, whatever happens. Okay, Uh, and uh, so there was a time when I'd get really kind of put out and really annoyed if I wasn't winning, or if I had to like if I lost all my money and went bankrupt, I'd be really upset about it.
0: You're a sore loser, are you?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I try not to be, but there's no, there was no escaping the fact that it just doesn't. uh, It's just something really unpleasant about that but these days I've decided to be more zen like about it okay. and just to you know if 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 my mother wins then I'll be happy for my my mum you know if my dad wins sure he'll be smug about it but I'll just let him enjoy his smugness you know <laughs> like and and equally if I win then I try not to uh, gloat about it too much and instead just uh, you know just try and enjoy the game for what it is. Um, but I, I find it fascinating for lots of different reasons, which we will probably be discussing in a bit more detail. Like, mm-hmm. for example, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good game, like on balance, in terms of the way it's designed. You know, it's a it's a decent game. The the rules are pretty well balanced. Uh, it's you know it. I mean, it's not just luck. Like some games are just the roll of the dice, Um, some card games are just basically just luck. Um, You know, it's a mix of some luck and some strategy, which you can apply in lots of different ways. Uh, And it is quite well balanced in the sense that it's possible to win in various different ways, you know. Like you might be losing at one point, but then you can find a way of turning it around. it's not too complex. Some board games are ridiculously overcomplicated and I just can't deal with them. I like Something like Risk or even Chess. You know, it's. I'm not quite intelligent enough to really be able to do chess. We'll talk about that uh, in your episode. I think it's <laughs> yes. very satisfying when you win money. There's no, there's no denying it. It's very satisfying when you get properties and you and, and you win money. Uh, there, and I, it, there's a certain sense of realism to it. Like it's, um, you know, there's some, a level of realism in the economics of how the game works.
0: I do think that it could be modernized. I was thinking about this earlier today you know you when you get a property i don't know if you're going to go into this more later mm. but when you buy a property then you get to a point where you can build houses on it and then when you have so many houses you can build a hotel but at no point do you say okay well now i'm going to do an extension on my house or build a, a studio in the garden which everyone is doing these days and i think there is room to modernize uh, the the original game bring it more into real life people don't move house anymore they just extend on the house that they've got
1: you know. mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to tweak the game in various ways. Um, you know, instead of yeah, like d- you could choose the ways in which you maybe develop the properties that you've bought or something like that. It'd be interesting to see how that changed the whole dynamic of the game, like tweaking it in yeah. certain ways.
0: Turn it into an Airbnb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, what would happen there? We live in it's such a such a diverse economy that we live in these days compared to well i don't know i'm not I, I don't really know about economics but yeah that would be interesting and uh, i just i mean i suppose you play the london version of the game do you
0: yeah yeah with pall mall and trafalgar square and oh what's what's the what's the brown one the first one that you land on that's like old 60 kent road. old kent road
1: yeah <laughs> mhm should probably go we're going to go around the board in a moment um, but um Yeah. So the London version, there'll be like versions of, uh, you know, the original version is set in a a city called Atlantic City in the United States. I think it's in Georgia, Mm. I think. Um, But yeah, I love playing the London version because, you know, it's sort of, I, I quite like the atmosphere of London and looking at all the different place names and just the sort of the whole London vibe of it.
0: Gives you nostalgia, does it?
1: Yeah, bit of bit of nos- nostalgia from the days when I was living in London, and yeah, sort of eh, quite evocative of London stuff. Um,
0: is there a French version, a Paris version? Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Is- we've yeah, we've got the Parisian version at home. Um, a kind of a wooden set. It's in a wooden box with wooden nice. houses and wooden hotels. Wow. And all yeah, of course, all the street names are all Parisian addresses. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you can you name a few?
1: There's Rue Lafayette. There's um, Avenue Champs Elysees. Uh, what else? There's loads. Pigalle, which is uh, where near to where we live. Um, Fantastic. So yeah, yeah. There's. Can, can you build an
0: Eiffel Tower?
1: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not. No. no, there's no like house hotel Eiffel Tower. No, <laughs> it's just house and hotel. Actually, interesting point that there that in the London version, there's no Buckingham Palace. There's no Big Ben. No. And and in the in the Eiffel in the Eiffel Tower version in the Paris version there's no Eiffel Tower in there, uh, as far as I remember. Yeah. Um, so should we talk about the, the basics of the game? What, we'll what's in to. the box? Imagine if you open the box, Anna. What's inside?
0: Um, well, you got your little metal pieces, at least in the in the one that I had. Um, mm-hmm. Your characters, which I think have changed over the years. Um, a, a, a dice. Dice, die. Ah,
1: dice or Ooh. die. Cause it's actually two. You actually have two in the box. Yes. We play with two, which yeah. is a crucial part of the game. So it's two dice, but it's actually one die. So the the in terms of vocabulary, yeah, we do say one die, but two dice. The little Although, cubes with numbers on. Yeah, I
0: did just look this up. Yeah, um, because I remember we it, we popped it in the notes. Die, dice. Because mm. it is always something that always makes me hesitate. Like, oh, is it, is it die? Is it dice? Which, which one's which? And actually now, apparently, don't quote me on this, but in the dictionary in, in British English, dice is acceptable for singular and plural.
1: Because this is one of those things that people will quite happily correct you on. Mm-hmm. It's like a common mistake that, let's say, native English speakers make, that they'll say, can you pass me the dice? And you're just talking about one. And someone at the table will go, actually, it's die. Die is the singular and the plural is dice. So, yeah, I can pass you the die if you like. And you're like, you smart ass, you know. Um, but, yeah, I guess people have used dice, the, the, technically the plural word, for the singular version mm-hmm. so often now yeah. that it's, it's become acceptable. Because this is how it works if you're a native English speaker. Make the mistake enough times it just becomes correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Slowly making our lives easier.
1: So yes, you've got a pair of dice or two dice if you like or mm-hmm. or or yeah, so two dice. Mm-hmm. Um and the 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 tokens.
0: Oh yes, tokens, that's the word I was looking for. The little characters are the tokens. Yeah. And then
1: which token did you do you did you always used to pick?
0: Um so I never wanted to be the boot. I never Why wanted do- to be the boot because like it was it looked like an old boot with the kind of sides flapped open. It had like, um, you know, it was just like an old leather boot yeah. and you don't want to be the old boot, like an old leather smelly. I assume it was smelly. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't want to be the boot, but I was always, you know, it was always kind of forced on me because, you know, my mama, my grandma, whoever else was playing would always get the first pick. Um, and so if I could, I would take the racing car or the dog, um, mm-hmm. But what about you?
1: So if we just mention the different uh, pieces or tokens, which, as you say, may have changed over the years.
0: They have. Some have been taken away and some introduced.
1: Yeah. So in in the average um, uh, Monopoly set, there might be a top hat, um, a thimble. right?
0: Do you, know, do you have any thimbles in your house?
1: Not at the moment. No, I, maybe we do, actually. We do have a set of... Um, needles and thread. And so there might be a thimble in there. I don't know. haven't checked recently. What is a thimble? That's what some people are are wondering right now. Do you want to try and explain that?
0: So a thimble is like a little metal cup or a tiny little hat for your finger that protects your finger from um, being stabbed with a a needle or a pin if you're doing any kind of needlework. I did used to have a thimble, in my uh, sewing kit, but I don't think I have one anymore. And I, I imagine that these items, maybe they represented something in the original game, but I think it's more like they were just household items, things that you'd find around... The house to play as your piece.
1: I suppose so. Yeah, it's, I don't really know the origin of those pieces. It's a bit a bit random, isn't it? Yeah. To have a top hat and a dog and a thimble. I mean, your theory works with the thimble, but I don't yeah. know if that many people have a metal, tiny metal dog lying well, around. Well, no, their house. but you
0: like use the dog. <laughs> the actual <laughs> like, dog. Sit, sit, Fido. Say that's my space.
1: <laughs> yeah, I we, suppose so.
0: There used to be an iron as well. The old iron. Used to be a, one of the pieces.
1: An iron. Well, again, what's that? What's an iron?
0: What's an iron or iron?
1: That's how it's spelled.
0: Is, yes, <laughs> that's but how it's, it's actually it,
1: pronounced. Iron.
0: Yeah, commonly mispronounced iron. Um, yeah. For ironing clothes, I don't use mine anymore. Really. No. Do you, I guess you do because you're a, a fella, and I guess you have to wear a shirt for work.
1: Yes. Yeah. So when I when I go to work. Um, twice a week I do have to iron a shirt yeah you have morning. to look
0: respectable
1: yeah I mean I could work. look I could look un, unrespectable, <laughs> unrespectable. disrespectful no unrespectable I could I could turn yeah. up in a creased shirt mm. I don't think I'd lose my job I no. don't think they can fire me for that sorry Luke um, it's, the th- it's the third time in two months now that you've come without ironing your shirt and we're gonna have to let you go because you can't fire someone like that in France. It's too it's no. too difficult. No, there's too many laws that protect employees and they wouldn't, they wouldn't stand a chance in court for that one. Not that people in France don't iron their shirts. Quite the opposite. People are very right. well turned out. Yes. Uh, generally in this city, certainly. Uh, but an iron, yes. Yeah. So if you want to look presentable, if you want your shirt to have no creases in it, then you'll need to iron the shirt uh, mm-hmm. before you, preferably before you put it on. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> Don't iron it when it's on you because you will burn yourself. Um, so. and that's, it's
0: a nice little uh, phrase as well, isn't it? To iron out the creases. You say, oh, let's, mm. we need to oh, iron out the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is to um, just remove any doubts and hone in on the tiny little details of a, of a deal, perhaps. Yeah. You iron out the details.
1: If you're trying to write a contract or something, you would iron out certain details, meaning to sort of agree to them, make the whole thing smooth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's an idiom that you can apply to other things as well as just, you know, making your shirts look flat. Yeah. Um, It's to
0: perfect, isn't it? To perfect and flatten. Yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so the top hat, the thimble, the iron, the shoe, as you said, or the boot, the battleship, which in our oh. version was like a little ferry, not a battleship. But it's like a <laughs> little ferry that might take you across a lake or something, um, or a pleasure boat, something like that. And uh, a cannon as well. Yeah. Like a sort of, um, I guess, uh, sort of 17th or 18th century old-fashioned cannon. Yeah. And a sports car. And a dog as well. So I would go for the sports car, of course, you know, because I'm a boy. And we're like, I want the car. And so it was always a battle a race to get to the sports car between my brother and me. And if I didn't get the sports car, I'd probably go for the boat. And if I couldn't get the boat, then I'd have the dog. You know, these days, I really don't care what I have at all, obviously, because I'm 46 years old. And, it, you know, you get a certain amount of perspective at this age. And absolutely choosing the right piece is suddenly not so important anymore. <laughs> um,
0: happy, happy to be anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what else? What else is in the box?
0: You have cards. I think you have two sets of cards, chance cards and
1: community chest
0: community chest yes
1: yeah okay you know what we're going to come back to them because first we need to talk about the board <laughs> yes all right now this episode's going to be long you can just oh, smell it can't you but we also right. haven't
0: mentioned that the money that's the important thing you've got all the money yeah in the in the box loads of it Loads beautiful color colors like why do we not have money that color in well I mean maybe you do in other countries you do in other countries in the UK it's quite they're quite bland when it comes yeah. to color
1: yes the color of the money in Monopoly is nice so there's it's kind of like the five hundred let's just let's refer to them as pounds just easier. Uh, 500 pounds is nice pink, salmon pink colour. The 100 pound note is a sort of a rusty orange. Yeah, burnt the 50 orange. Is, is an off-white. And um, the board itself is obviously square. Do, I, do we need to describe what the board looks like? Do, we, do you think we need to do that?
0: I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 it folds in half. It's got a big fold down the middle. Mm-hmm. Or is it is it in quarters? No, you'll know because you, you've got your pristine set. That you use at Christmas.
1: It depends. So the the original one that we have at my parents' house folds down the middle, but the one the French version that we've got neatly folds into four, right. um, and is easier to, to to store in a cupboard. It takes up mm. less space as a result. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the the board is quite pleasing. I like the fact that it's square, and I, and one of the interesting things about it, the way it works, is that. You just you just keep going round and round and round. Unlike some board games where it's just kind of like a start and then a finish, with Monopoly it's you're just constantly going round and round and round, which is quite a good um, feature, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, starting with Go, then you've got like the two brown, the cheap brown properties. There's a uh, every every side of the board has a community chest. Uh, and a chance uh, spot. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, there's a station in the middle of every side, a train station in the British version. Do you remember which stations they are, Anna? Kings Cross. Kings Cross. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you know? Kings- I don't. I don't remember <laughs> any of them. Kings um, Cross is
1: the first one. Then the next one is Marleybone Station.
0: Marleybone Station. Piccadilly? No.
1: Uh, well, the Fenchurch Street station, yeah. uh, which is um, a slightly right. obscure one, it's not one of the the, the sort of um, major train stations in London.
0: And that's on the first road, isn't it? After the the brown, cheaper properties.
1: No, first. The first one is King's Cross, right? Followed by Marleybone on the sort of pink and orange side. Then between the reds and the yellows, you've got Fenchurch Street, right? And then between the greens and the dark blues, you've got Liverpool Street Station,
0: yes, of course, which
1: is in the east of London. Um, okay, and um, you also have the, uh, the the utilities as well, the electric company and the waterworks. Yes. Um, Okay. So you kind of, you know, you roll the dice, you, you move your piece along. If you land on a property, you have the option to buy it. Uh, if you land on a station, you can buy it. If you land on a utility, you can buy it. There are other things. If you land on community chest or chance, you have to pick up a card. And basically, you're going to win some money or lose some money or do something like move your piece somewhere. Um, you um, also have the jail uh which you will be just visiting if you roll and land on it but if you if one of the cards tells you to go to jail you have to stay there uh there's a there's a um a square in the corner that says go to jail and there's quite a lot of going to jail in this game yeah um, which is
0: which is great later on when there's lots of hotels um, ahead of you and you want to avoid them you're like please send me to jail um, but in the early days when all the property's being bought up you're like no i'm stuck
1: yeah because you really need to buy as much stuff as you can yeah. early in the game otherwise you're just going to be you're just going to go bankrupt really quickly yeah um mm-hmm. so yeah also other things that are in the box there are the title deeds for the properties. Um, which are cards that um, you can take uh, when you buy a property and then, you know, you can keep it next to you and feel all glad that you own something.
0: Yeah, Yeah. lay them out in front of you to to show everyone how successful you are.
1: Exactly. So, okay, we could talk more about the rules. I'm going to ask you about your strategy for playing the game. Do you you tend to have a particular strategy?
0: So my strategy is literally just buy... Whatever you land on. Um, there is a rule. I don't know if you're going to talk about this. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But there is a way that people play where they miss one of the most important rules. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? Yeah.
1: Maybe we should talk about the rules now then because um, it's probably worth trying to explain it. So just bear with me. Get, let me just take a deep breath okay. and try and explain the rules. <sighs> okay. So... Um, you land on a property if no one owns it you can buy it there's another rule that you're mentioning here which most people don't play but let's just say if you land on a property you 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 can buy it if you get a set of property properties then that's great mm-hmm. because if someone lands on your property they have to pay rent to you which is a cash amount it could be about 20 pounds or something like that, depending on the property. As you go around the board, the first properties are cheaper and yield lower rents. And the last properties at the other end of the board um, are more expensive. So, Mm -hmm. the properties get progressively more expensive. And as a result, the rents of landing on those properties when they're owned get higher as well, starting with the crap brown properties, going all the way around to the extremely expensive dark blue properties, which in the London edition are Mayfair and Park Lane. Um, Okay, so if you land on someone else's property, you have to pay them rent. Now, if you land on someone else's property and they own all three or all two of those colours, for example, if If Anna, for example, you have landed on all of the pink uh, properties at some point and you own them all, I have to pay double rent Mm -hmm. to you in that occasion. Mm -hmm. Also, if you own... For example, all of the pink properties, you have the right to start building houses and later hotels on them. Yeah. If I land on one of your properties with a house on it, I have to pay you even more rent. If there are two houses, the rent probably gets doubled. Uh, if there are three houses, four houses, we're talking about astronomical levels of rent in some cases. And if there's a hotel on there, then I could be paying you a thousand, two thousand uh, pounds or something mm-hmm. to stay there. I mean... It's a nice hotel, Anna, but £2,000 a night is a little bit... (laughs) A little bit much considering there was no breakfast included. I was going to say. (laughs) Um, So uh, the chance and the community chest cards are obviously really important because they will uh, essentially gain or lose you money. They'll put you in different parts of the board. But that's more or less it. You can trade Mm -hmm. with each other. So if I've got, if you know, if, if you've got two pink ones and I've got two light blue you know if, if I've got if you've got two pink ones and I've got the other pink one you'll maybe do a deal with me and there's some negotiation that happens
0: yeah and it's the negotiations that I think cause the most um friction when families or groups of friends are playing because someone will always have a favorite and always have like a, a nemesis that they pick at some point through the game and say I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you do not progress and so they start doing trades with their friends or their, their chosen one. And it's like, this is just not fair. And they gang up on you. Yes. They, they bully you.
1: Levels of almost corruption or cronyism or nepotism yeah. get involved in, in the game where there's, yeah you know, people start ganging up and exactly like the kids start sort of teaming up on you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the game uh, often takes ages. This is one of the regular complaints about the game that it just goes on forever and it causes big arguments now what were you going to say about this rule that maybe is one of the reasons why the game takes so long
0: yeah so so the rule is and i've never played this rule myself but the rule is that when you land on a property that's not owned by anyone and you decide not to buy it you have to then auction the property off so what we would normally do is you'd land on a property, say, I don't want to buy this property. I'm just next, I'll pass the dice along and let the next person have their turn. And then, you know, it's still open and someone has to land on it again to buy it. But what you should do is say, okay, I'm not going to buy it. Who wants it? And it should be auctioned off. Yeah. But the thing is, Most people don't read all the rules because you say, hey, guys, have got a glass of wine. Just had some dinner. Let's play a game. I know. Let's play Monopoly. Okay, how does it work? Well, we'll figure it out as we go. And we'll read the rules when we're not sure about something. But no one really opens up the rules and sits there for 10, 15 minutes perusing all the ins and outs. Yeah. Just play.
1: And it's a game that we all played. It's, It's been around for such a long time now that we all played this game as kids and we were all told the rules by our parents or our older <laughs> siblings and no one's ever really bothered to read the rules and so some of the more complex things or seemingly complex things get ignored and and the auction thing is definitely one of those. I can imagine, I can understand why people often don't do the auctions because they can be a bit frustrating. So just for listeners who don't know, an auction is when... Um, It's a bit like eBay uh, when something is sold and people bid on that item and the bids get progressively higher, you know. So, for example, if you have landed on Trafalgar Square, which I think is worth about 200. I can't remember. Hold on. I'll, I'll check. I'll check the value of Trafalgar Square, which is, by the way, the the one of the best properties you can get in the game. Because statistically, it's the one that people land on the most. Really? Did you know that? I didn't know. As a as a, as a property, the, actually, the, the most landed on square is, do you know? Go is, to jail? J- j- it's just jail. Oh, jail. That's the most commonly landed on square because there are quite a few... There's a few cards in the chance and community chest piles that send you to jail. Uh, also, there's a, another uh, square on the board that says go to jail. And also, if you, if you roll a double um, three times in a row, uh, you'll be sent to jail as well. And that does happen a surprising number of times uh, in an that. average game. Yeah. never so- knew that rule. Didn't you, you don't know that rule. <laughs> no. Yeah, if you roll three doubles in a row, jail. Wow. Uh, so, so jail is the most landed on square. But after that, uh, or at least in terms of the actual properties, the coloured properties, uh, Trafalgar Square is the most commonly landed on because seven is the most common number to roll when you're rolling two dice. I see. So, so it's interesting that there is some maths involved in in all of this too you know that's one of the other interesting things about it so um yeah when you roll two dice statistically seven is the most common number and trafalgar square is at the end of a number of sevens sevens yeah. And there's a there's a card, I think there's a card that sends you to, to Trafalgar Square too. So anyway, let's say you, you've landed on Trafalgar Square, it's worth two hundred and forty pounds, mm-hmm. but you don't want to buy it, then the other members of the game, the other players, let's say me and um um this bottle of water that's on my desk that Old we're playing Volv. with. Yeah, Dave Volvic. Dave Volvik. <laughs> um so Dave and I get to have an auction so it's worth 210 and let's say you're the banker you say, okay, we're going to have an auction. Uh, they ask the the starting price is 200 sorry 240 pounds mm-hmm. and I say, yeah, I'd like it for 240 and Dave goes 250. And then I say, uh, all right, two hundred and sixty. And Dave says, two hundred and seventy. And I'm just thinking, Oh God, I really want that, but I don't want to pay more than three hundred pounds for it. Two hundred and eighty then, I'll buy it for actually three hundred pounds, I'll buy it for three hundred pounds. And Dave's there going, uh, uh, all right, three hundred and ten. And it ends up going to Dave for three hundred and ten pounds. That's an auction. Mm-hmm yes and
0: auctioneers like traditional auctioneers are amazing they can they can speak so fast and they're almost like <laughs> was it racing horse racing commentators i'm yeah. going once going twice to sold to the man in the back up and they've got a is it a gabble like what's that thing Yeah, called? like a
1: kind of a wooden hammer yeah yeah, yeah. going
0: once going twice sold
1: Bang. sold to the bottle of volvic on the table um it, Congratulations. by the way it's not normal in in England listeners for People to play with inanimate objects. That's just something that's happening right now as an example. I saw an amazing auction once in, in Japan in a market called Skiji Market, which is this incredible fish market in Tokyo. And uh in you can just go in, it's a great tourist destination. You can go into the market and see all the fish being loaded in and being processed. And it's just absolutely incredible the amount of fish and all the different types. And they have this one room, it's like this big walk-in freezer. And laid out on the ground are just these rows and rows of these huge frozen tuna fish. And there's there's a guy in the middle on a stepladder auctioning them all off. And I've never heard Japanese spoken so quickly in my life. It's wow. just insane. And even like Japanese friends of mine are like, we have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, auctioneers, I guess, internationally speak incredibly quickly. I mean, it yeah. could be
0: dangerous because you could be interpreting what they're saying incorrectly and be like, yeah, yeah. Or auctions are always those um, <laughs> scenarios where you go to scratch your nose and you've just you just uh, um, let them think that you're bidding. And you're like, what? no, no. I I didn't mean to.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You just scratch your nose and you just bought a tuna fish for £10,000 yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the auction thing in Monopoly, yeah, no one plays that rule, but it does actually uh, speed the game up because it means that the properties get distributed more quickly. Mm-hmm. Another, th- another thing, another rule that people introduce by themselves is the free parking rule. Do you know about that?
0: So... Uh- I, so I know how I play free parking. Um, mm-hmm. We pay any fines that come up through the chance or community chest. We put that money in the middle. And then if you land on free parking, you just get all that money. Yeah, But, but I don't know if that's right
1: it's absolutely not right there's no (laughs) there's no rule in the in the rule book that says anything about free parking being some kind of national lottery (laughs) situation uh although yeah uh my wife likes to play that version of the game as well um and yeah that that seems to be a very common thing that lots of people do uh but it's not written in the rules so it's interesting though isn't it how that rule has been co-opted by so many people um the 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 rule is free parking is just a free space it does nothing it's just a safe space yeah um which is you know i suppose a bit boring but (laughs) also i suppose it's quite you know interesting you could just decide that to have any rule on that on that square but yeah putting all the money from chance and all the rest of it all those fees into the middle uh that does perpetuate the game as well because Mm -hmm. you're essentially adding a lot of cash into the into people's pockets when really you want the game to be wrapped up by you know one person having all the cash and and if suddenly someone who's losing suddenly gets injected with you know a thousand pounds, then it's like oh God that's an that's added a yeah. half an hour to the game yeah. at least yeah I remember um, playing
0: a game once i don't know why, but there was a lot of money in the middle, like no one was picking it up. And uh, I I don't know why there was so much money in there. Maybe there was a a rule that we were playing additional where we, uh, maybe we were paid income tax because there's an income tax space. Maybe Mm -hmm. we're paying that into the middle as well. And um, the bank ended up kind of running out of money. And so people were passing (laughs) go and like, sorry, we're going to have to, you know, write an IOU because, you know, free parking's got all the money.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. then the other rule that people don't realize is that you can trade at any time. And my parents are real sticklers for this. Uh, They've decided that you can only trade, I think, before you roll the dice, when it's your turn. Mm. So there's a very limited window of opportunity for trading. You're only allowed to do it when the dice are in your hand and it's your turn. And the number of times when you try to do a deal with someone at the table, it's like, dad, dad, dad. I'll give you Trafalgar Square for those two stations. And then my mum will be like, no trading, it's not your go. Now, that's just not true because you can trade any you like. There are... Oh,
0: right. Oh, OK. Yeah. I mean, that changes everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. It's never it, it going to be the same again. Yeah. Um, so you can trade any you like. Um, you should auction off properties if no one buys them and um the other thing was no free parking national lottery that's uh that's guaranteed to make the game last forever and if you if you stick with those things and um you know and you don't uh you don't be stingy uh, you know you've got to you got to tr- be willing to do some deals uh and don't don't sort of uh don't protect your favorite loved ones by giving them soft deals and letting them it's off.
0: Like slipping them a 500.
1: Yeah. Or sort of saying, oh, don't worry, darling, you don't have to pay me the rent on Mayfair with two houses. Don't worry about it. Don't do that either. You've got to be a ruthless, uh, cold-blooded capitalist uh, for this game to actually work. I
0: I saw my mum in a different light playing Monopoly. I always thought, you know, my mum loves me dearly and she'll do anything for me. She's my protector. And then we started playing Monopoly. And I was like, she is ruthless. She is cold. (laughs) She would always, she would just, yeah. Winning was her thing. She had to win at all, no matter what.
1: Yeah. 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 Interesting. The way it brings these things out in people. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule. And of course the cost, well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. Um, so, all right. So what about strategies then? Do you have, yeah, do you have any particular approaches to playing the game?
0: Um, I don't have any specific approaches. I tend to have an idea of which colours I want to go for, although what I would do is normally see where I land. So a bit of luck if I land on the blues, I'll start buy- buying up the blues if I can. I don't shy away from the browns, the cheap browns. I think they're overlooked and actually can be quite useful when you've got a hotel on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not afraid of being in jail. Once I've got some properties in hand, I think being in jail is quite a safe place to be. Because there, are, do you play rules for how to get out of jail?
1: Yes. Yeah, so there's two ways to get out of jail. You have far a far get know.
0: out of jail free card, which you might pick up in the chance. Is it in the chance or community um, chest? I can't remember. I'm not
1: sure. Actually, three ways to get out.
0: Yeah. So um, get out of jail
1: free card, yeah. which
0: actually is a something that we use in general language. Oh, this is my get out of jail free card. If this is like your hall pass or your How would you explain it? Um,
1: I don't know. Just like a thing that you can use to get out of a certain situation. Like, for example, I don't want to go to that party. You know, I'll just, uh, you know, use your kids as your... Oh, you know, the babysitter cancelled. That's my get out of jail free card, to be honest. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So you can use your card to get out. Or if you roll, if you roll a double. So you can still take your turn, even though you can't move. But if you roll a double on your turn, then you're out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have to stay in for three turns and then you're naturally out.
1: Okay, four ways to get out.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, if you stay in for three turns, then you're just released because you've done your time. Uh, Yeah, you've got the get out of jail free card or you roll a double or you pay 50 pounds.
0: Uh, And that goes into the middle for free parking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you like, if you really want to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. so you like you, you like the Browns. You're willing to go for the Browns. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Browns, these are the cheapest ones. It's yeah. a pair. Yeah, it's quite easy to get to hotels on them. It's, yeah, you know, you, there's only two cards to get, and then it costs you relatively. It costs you five hundred pounds to to go from nothing to hotels on both. Mm-hmm. So that's quite, you know, in terms of it's kind of like the the pop up restaurant business of of the monopoly world, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I like to hide some money under the board. So this is money. This is my, my money. I haven't cheated and and taken it, but it's just like a, it's almost like, you know, a poker strategy, like, Oh, poor Anna. Um, she's hardly got any money left. So when she lands on me, I'm going to charge her full amount. And then I go, ha ha ha. I got some secret money stashed away. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, do you know which are the best properties uh, and the worst properties to, to play? So this is what I find fascinating about it, right? There's the 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 um which which sets of properties will probably win you the game, or which which ones uh, are, tend to be better than others? Do you well, know? I,
0: I I I think everyone would assume that Mayfair and Park Lane, the two most expensive. I mean, they can be. They can be breakers of people because they are so expensive. Once you've built up your hotels on those properties, um, but I have a feeling that maybe the green set mm. is quite a good one to have. I always tend to land on them, and they they are like the next in line in terms of expense. They're I think just under the purple ones, um, and so it can be still eye watering to pay those bills. And as you've already mentioned, Trafalgar Square being the most landed on, I'm going to assume that red is, is a good one to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Go so on. so sort of my understanding before I looked into it uh, in preparation for this episode, my understanding was always that the second set on every side is, is the better set ah. on that side, right? So, mm-hmm. like it's using that as a starting point. Now, the, the, there's, there's two reasons. There's two reasons why a set would be good. One reason is because of the frequency with which people land on those properties. And we've talked about uh, the statistics of mm-hmm. it, first of all, but yeah. simply the average roll, like the most frequently rolled numbers. But also, um, in terms of the way the board is designed, so a lot of people get go, get sent to jail, as we know. Yeah. So where do you, what happens to you when you leave jail? You are going to land on the pink and orange side, and actually you can only land on two of the pink ones if you're leaving, starting from jail, because you can't yes. roll a one. No. So that's so, but you've got a fairly high probability of landing on one of the orange. It's something like thirty percent. Or maybe thirty to forty percent. I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. um, That if you start in jail and you roll, you're going to land on one of the orange ones, and that alone makes orange the most powerful set uh, on the board. So the oranges are definitely the best. Um, They are orange properties are uh, all the orange properties are in the top five most landed on properties on the board. The other two being red. Okay, just yeah. because they're right there when you come out of jail, and lots of people go to jail.
0: There are also some go to land on free parking cards, aren't there? In the community chest, there's some that say go to free parking.
1: Uh, don't know. <laughs> I don't know sure about free parking. I'm sure there are. There are. But you're, you're right. There are cards that send you to different parts of the board. Yeah. So there's there's a card that sends you to King's Cross Station. There's a card that sends you to. Um, Pall Mall, one of the pink properties. There's a card that sends you to uh, Mayfair, crucially. Uh, there's a card that sends you to Trafalgar Square, one of the red properties. And there's a card that sends you... There used to be a card that sends you back to Old Kent Road. I don't know if you remember that. Go back to Old Kent Road, yes. which is one of the cheap brown properties. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those things are important too. So... So the, my reason against so going back to the thing about the second set on each side so there's, there's two factors that will affect um, whether a, a set of properties is good or not so one factor is the frequency as I said, like the frequency with which you land on those properties because of the dice rolls or because of the uh, jail or because a card is sending you to, to, to that place. And then the other one is the other reason a property set can be valuable is because of the return on investment. Mm-hmm. OK, so um, so if you compare the green, the dark greens and the dark blues, OK, or in fact, any set. So on on the first side, uh, each house costs £50, Yeah. right? On the second side, they cost £100. On the third side, they cost £150. 150- Pounds to make, and on the last side they cost two hundred pounds a house. Okay, so if we compare, I don't know what. What should we compare? The the pinks and the oranges. Okay, a hundred pounds per house, but the orange ones. So if you've got one house on those orange properties, you'll get more money from that house than if it was on an orange, than if it was on a on a pink. Sorry. Yeah see what I mean so the 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 amount of like uh, the 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 amount of money you can leverage from an orange property is much higher than the amount of money you can leverage from a pink property because you're getting more rent, but the cost of of building the house in the first place is the, same. the same so for this reason, actually the green properties are pretty bad because if you think about it, it costs two hundred pounds to build a house on those properties. So, like, it's it's really really interesting that with the green ones, if you've got the green set, which is Oxford Street, Regent Street, and Bond Street, Bond Street, it's going to cost you two hundred pounds to build to get to hotels. So you're going to have to pump a lot like, of money in
0: a thousand pounds, I think, for a hotel because you have to buy the four houses first, then exchange the four houses and pay an extra two hundred for the hotel build.
1: So it's like two hundred times five. Yeah, it's thousand a thousand. So that's three thousand to get all hotels mm. on on them. Um, so that's a lot of money that you're going to have to pump into to those uh, three properties. But it's
0: Appa- the status, though, Luke. <laughs> you know, it's like Trump Tower. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, true. You do feel pretty good when you have got hotels on those green. But you know, that's you feel even better when someone's out, when you actually win the game.
0: Yeah. Do you know? I. I I never ever thought about the statistics on, you know, the dice roll, what you talked about, you know, the fact that if you're coming out of jail, which you often do, you're never going to land on Pall Mall. So next time I play, I'm going to be in the know. Don't share this information with your family so that when you go and play at Christmas, you'll you'll definitely win.
1: Yeah, there you go, listeners.
0: if you land on the orange and you can get the
1: properties, then... But I mean, you know, having the oranges is no guarantee. You can win the game in many different ways. You can win the game if you've got the greens. You just you just got to be careful. Like the thing about the greens, going back to them again, is that actually the the um the sort of optimal way to use the greens apparently is to just build up to three houses on on them. Right. And that's where you get the best return on investment and beyond that your return is actually diminishing somehow. Uh, But, yeah, my my thinking was, again, before I looked into this, was just that the second set on each side was better because it's like the same price of uh, the houses are the same price as the other set on that side. But you're getting more money from the rent. Mm. So I'd always choose the light blues over the browns, the oranges over the pinks, the yellows over the reds and the dark blues over the dark greens. Um, Yeah.
0: But even though Trafalgar Square, which is a red, that's in the first half... So you still choose yellow over reds, even though Trafalgar Square is statistically the most landed on square.
1: That's a, that's a very good point. And that's what I mean when I say that the game is really well balanced, because, yeah, there's the, the yellows are actually better because the return on investment is better. But reds, in a way, are better than the yellows because the frequency uh, of landing on them is better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this makes it really interesting. The dark blues... Uh, it's it 's very pricey to build but if and, and there 's only two so the chance of someone landing on on them is low but there 's a card that sends someone to mayfair and and yeah. you can get to hotels relatively quickly compared to the dark greens mm-hmm. so if you I reckon if you 've got the oranges and the dark blues you 're going to win you know, because you're spreading, you're balancing out the kind of the return on investment versus the frequency. Mm. Um, but you could win with many different combinations.
0: Yeah. And you, you haven't mentioned, but the, the start square, which is go, um, every time you do a lap of the board and you pass go, you are given from the government of monopoly £200, aren't you? So you just top up your coffers. Yeah. With yeah, your 200 right. Yeah, uh, up- uh, unless unless you get one of those awful community chest or chance cards that says, now pay some money to someone for some dodgy electrics or something, or you need to do some waterworks or something. You've been so, assessed for street yeah. repairs. <laughs> yeah. So pay some money to someone, then go directly <laughs> to jail. Do not pass go. And you're like, oh, it's so close to getting my 200.
1: Exactly. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go do not collect 200 pounds mm. yeah that's one of the most painful cards you can get the yeah. other painful cards yeah we've as as we just said was uh, you've you've been assessed for street repairs and you have to pay lots of money if you've got lots of houses and hotels, then that's devastating,
0: especially if you've Uh, only just built. So you've just paid out all that you've invested all your money, you've got no cash left, and then you have to sell your houses or or you can remortgage your properties, can't you? Yes. Turn the card over and remortgage it. And I don't think you can collect rent when it's been remortgaged. That's
1: right. So this is another important rule is that, yeah, so if you've got properties, you can mortgage them which essentially means taking them out of the game. You still own them, but you can't collect rent if, or build houses on them. And you get half the value of mm-hmm. the property from the bank when you do that. So it's essentially like borrowing money against the, you know, the property. Mo- mm-hmm. A mortgage, you know. Yeah. Swap- yeah. So, um yeah, so you can mortgage a property and to get the property back, you have to pay, again, half the property value to to, to unmortgage that property. Now, here's a, here's a question for you. Um, when you've got, let's say, houses or hotels and you need to remove those, let's say, sell those houses or remove them and get the money back, how much money do you get back? Let's say it's a a house on on Pentonville Road, which is a light blue. It's £50 pounds to buy the house. How much money do you get when you liquidate that house?
0: I don't know. I don't... If you sell it back, you mean?
1: Yeah. If you need to get cash to pay someone.
0: Just get back the same amount, no? Same
1: amount. Yeah. Yeah. So That's what we do.
0: Okay. Is that wrong?
1: I think it's wrong, though. Oh. I think we're supposed to get half the amount.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Which is a
1: game changer as well. Yeah. Because, again, my strategy is, if you've got a set, put all your money, all your cash must be turned into um properties yeah um and you can actually <laughs> you can actually move essentially move your houses around the board based on where the other players are so if there's just two of you left and your whatever like your your mum or something is approaching the let's say you've got the light blues and you've got the yellows and your mum is approaching the yellows and it's your turn you liquidate all the houses on the light blues and turn them all into properties on the yellows. Poor mum. And and if she doesn't get the yellows, then you quickly sell all the yellows and turn them into hotels on the blues so you get her on the other side.
0: (laughs) Mean. mean, No wonder it turns into an argument.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But, um, yeah, these are the strategies, apparently, that yeah. you're supposed to use. I mean, yeah. all
0: these rules, they just, it's n- yeah, all these rules are just designed to drain your money and um, end the game quite quickly.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we probably should be doing this, but, yeah, we all like to perpetuate the game
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, uh, for whatever reason, yeah. But
0: it's funny because... One of the reasons if someone said to me, um, hey, Anna, let's play a game. Oh, what do you fancy? I don't know. Should we dust off the Monopoly? I'd go, oh, and I'd roll my eyes would probably be my first reaction because it takes too long. So actually, you know, I think there needs to be a, a bit of social awareness around like a re-education of the Monopoly board to kind of get a, a classic being played a bit more often by those who have kind of shunned it thinking it always takes far too long
1: but having said that i think we all avoid those rules for a reason it's because they are a little bit of a pain aren't they like having to having to auction properties and not getting the, like not getting the same amount back from your houses and well, stuff well that's
0: just because it doesn't suit your your snide (laughs) your strategies to to bankrupt your mother (laughs) but i i I would quite happily play those rules i just didn't never knew them
1: no although the free parking
0: i i would be upset if i didn't win my money for landing on free parking and and there are occasions when you land on free park and you're like yes and then you look and there's no cash and you're like oh
1: yeah yeah the the adrenaline rush of landing yeah. on free parking. Yeah, yeah. don't yeah. take that away from us.
0: It's like your numbers come in for the lottery, but then it's shared between 20 people. Like, what? <laughs>
1: yeah, or just that week, no one bought lottery tickets. No. So it's like you've, you've won the lottery. It's a chance in 16 million and the prize, 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so uh, what about the history of the game? Did you, I mean, you, you uncovered some interesting details about this.
0: Okay, so um, it, was a, it was originally created by a left-wing feminist called Lizzie McGee. Maggie? McGee? Mm-hmm.
1: McGee, yeah. McGee,
0: Lizzie McGee. Um, but this was not, she wasn't credited for it. Um, she was, was a, a working class woman. And she created this game to kind of reflect like capitalism and how unfair life is. Um, And it didn't really get taken up by any of the games companies. No one was that interested in it. So it was just doing the rounds in people's houses. People were just passing this around and playing. Um, And there was a chap, I think, called Charles Darrow. uh who was introduced to the game by some friends over dinner one evening they had a had a go at this game and he was like this is a really interesting game uh obviously he must have already been familiar with the gaming industry because he then phoned his friend the next day and said do you mind if i try and do something real with this game uh and his friend was like, yeah, sure, go for it. So he made a few changes, then took it to Parker Brothers, which are a game a gaming company that produces games and markets them. Uh, and, you know, the rest is history. It became a phenomenal success. And he took all the credit and made millions off the back of it. And poor old Lizzie was fighting her corner for a very long time. but um, But no one believed her, said that she couldn't prove it. Um, but it was later uncovered. I think someone was doing some research after she died. Someone was doing some research into the history of the game and discovered, um, all the evidence. I think they took, I think it was taken, it was in a part of a court case or something, something to do with the rights of another game, but involving the Parker brothers. Um, and this, this journalist uncovered some of the, the darker secrets of Monopoly And Mm. said, "Well, you can't do me for this because you've taken credit for this game that was actually created by somebody else." Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's uh, quite an unfair start.
1: That's that is so fascinating and so ironic as well. Like the original game, as you said, uh, designed by this woman. Um, Lizzie Magee. she um, yeah, so she called it the landlord's game and it was, the purpose of the game was to instruct people especially children about how the kind of um, the capitalist society or capitalist system at the time, this is, we're talking about the turn of the previous century so her version of the game was first created in 1903 in the United States and it it was a statement about the unfairness of the sort of um, the property market, and uh, so she created the game. And well, from what I've read, she the, her version had two two modes, two game modes. So you could choose which version of the game you played. You could play the uh, anti-monopoly uh, version. Uh, is that is that right? Hold on a second. Yeah, so two, two game modes, the anti-monopolist and then the monopolist version. The anti-monopolist version basically rewards everyone when someone acqu- acquires a property.
0: Right. It's
1: because there's taxation involved. Mm. Okay, so for example, when you buy Trafalgar Square for 240 the rest of the board also gets some money because that purchase of land... Has tax applied to it, and that tax is taken from you and sort of distributed in order to prevent what happens in monopoly, the end game of monopoly, which is where one person has everything and everyone else has got nothing, and the game ends, which is quite an interesting... I always thought that was sort of an interesting critique of capitalism, that if monopoly is like a little microcosm of capitalism, what can happen is that the whole thing just ends... (laughs) <laughs> the whole system just it dies just breaks. Yeah. when one person has got everything and everyone else has got nothing, which feels like kind of what's going on, you know, to to an extent in the world where you know um, there's a tiny, 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 tiny portion who are absorbing and getting all all the the wealth and all the assets. Meanwhile, everyone else is just desperately struggling, mm-hmm. and and in order to prevent the uh, you know, one person or a handful of people from monopolising the entire system. Yeah. There are laws and taxes and other sorts of checks and balances to try and redistribute the wealth, to keep things even and keep things fair and to stop the whole thing breaking down and the board being thrown in the air and the pieces falling on the floor and people storming off into different rooms crying, you know. Uh, so her... her. Uh, Her anti-monopolist version was a sort of equilibrium, uh, a a, a method of creating equilibrium. And the game concludes when uh, equilibrium of wealth is achieved when everyone owns a fair amount of cash.
0: Wow.
1: Now, this version of the game was not so successful. Well. Unsurprisingly, (laughs) maybe, but for some reason that didn't seem to appeal to people's sort of gaming instincts
0: yeah well we want to compete we want to win we want to we want to crush our opponents and yeah
1: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm
0: so
1: the one that the one that did get turned into what we know as Monopoly today really focused on the other version of the game, the other mode that she created, which was the Monopolist mode, which is pr- probably more or less a- as we see it today. And that this was her statement. It's like, look, interesting. Look, compare the two. What happens when you have these two different systems? What's the end result of these two dis- different systems? So she was definitely making a political statement about... Um, uh, the nature of sort of uh, hyper capitalism or, or unfettered uh, capitalism, yeah. and the ironic thing is that a big corporation took that idea and made millions and millions of dollars from it. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. she got five hundred dollars. Wow! They bought the they bought the rights from her eventually, and she was paid a sum of five hundred dollars. And then they made all the money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I I had never thought about it as a, uh, an educational game for my children to teach them about how like a monopoly would work in a society. But I think it might just teach my, my eldest son, Jacob, I think he would just love having all the money and beating everyone. He's got that kind of mentality. <laughs> so I think it would actually just teach him that capitalism is good.
1: <laughs> yeah, but except that, I guess, uh, you know, my, my daughter's the same. I mean, she's she's not really old enough to play the full version yet. We play a kid's version. You know, mm-hmm. there's like Monopoly Junior, where every property is, is one pound. Right. Uh, the rent for every property is one pound. Okay. Um, you know, everything's one pound. Um, and you know it still works uh, but yeah they they're a bit too young to understand it but i guess the lesson should be is like okay when you win that's great and everything but look what's look what's happened to your family
0: everyone else <laughs> is crying mom everyone. and dad are getting a divorce <laughs> yeah
1: the, the, everything's broken down everyone's miserable and unhappy there you go you see that's the that's the ultimate effect of it um, Yeah. yeah <laughs> Mm, i don 't know if there's much more to add uh,
0: well it, it, it actually does have a real world impact on relationships i, I don 't know if you saw there was something that I uncovered about um, the fact that it does end in separation for some people really it has caused um, it has caused some really serious like marital conflict um, because people fight so much about it i remember um, My, my, my grandma, my late grandma, a a very unique character. She's the kind of person you don't forget if you meet her or you wouldn't have in the past. Mm, mm, Um, mm. She, she always liked to win. She was a very strong character. And um, when she would play Monopoly, if she, if she won the game, she would make everyone call her God. For the rest of the day oh wow and do everything for i am god no you don't call me Gillian. you don't call me mum or grandma i'm god and i do not do anything for you you do everything for me
1: wow so not only was she content to take all your money and grind you into the dirt yep. but also you had to worship her as a deity yep. for the rest of the, yep. the, the day wow that's that's something <laughs> incredible um couple of fun facts to end i think we'll end with this the most expensive monopoly set do you know about this
0: yeah it was like a like a jeweler's it must have been like a, a gold or jewel encrusted version of the game yeah is that right
1: yeah the the, the most expensive monopoly set is worth two million dollars And it's made of... It's gold-plated. A lot of the things are made of... The dice alone are worth $10,000. There are rubies, emeralds, and diamonds. So all the houses are little gold blocks with uh, emeralds embedded in them. The hotels are the same thing, but with rubies embedded in them. The dice, the the, the dots on the... Each side of the dice are diamonds. All the pieces are made of gold. All of the title deeds are gold plated and the board itself is gold plated.
0: Wow. I mean that must be quite heavy.
1: I expect so, yes. Can
0: you imagine? You've got those you've got the dice, and you you know, you roll the dice, and maybe you're a little bit too vigorous as you roll it, and one rolls off and then falls down the crack in the floorboards or whatever, and then just like ah, <laughs> That's five thousand dollars we've just lost somewhere, and now we're going to rip up the flooring trying to find it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when you when you are the owner of a, a a monopoly, like when you've got a company that is just earning so much money that you don't really know what to do with it, then buy yourself a two million dollar monopoly set.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I guess you don't care if you have that much money; you could spend that on a. Yeah, you don't care if you lose 5,000 with a, a die down the, no, down the hole in sp- the floor?
1: I don't know. I don't know, really. But uh, it would be, certainly be an extravagant thing to have in the home. Mm. Um, the fastest, the shortest possible game. Right? The shortest possible game. It, it can be all over uh, within a couple of minutes. What? Yeah. Do you want to know how this works? Go on. Okay, so it would be a two-player game. Um, now, there's the, the exact odds of this sequence happening in a two-player game, just by chance, are one in every um, two... <laughs> Flipping egg. this is a long number. <laughs> That's so long. I think it's... Okay, it's... Oh, my God. It's 253,899 no 253,899,891 million. Wow. Actually that is not the correct way to say this number. It's actually even longer and more complicated than that. So this is this is 253899891671040 and it should be pronounced Two hundred fifty-three trillion, eight hundred and ninety-nine billion, eight hundred and ninety-one million, six hundred and seventy-one thousand and forty. Okay, which is actually the longest number I've ever said in my entire life. So, if you're worried about how to how to how to read a number like that out loud, don't worry about it too much. It's highly unlikely you're ever going to have to say that number. But you could always practice now if you really want to, so that you, next time you do have to. Um, explain the odds of the fastest ever game of Monopoly happening, you'll be prepared in advance, won't you? And you'll be able to say, oh, yeah, it's 253,899,891,671,040. And the person you're speaking to will say, stop talking to me. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Does that make sense? I don't, I, know, I don't how many, know how say how that many did,
0: can, Do you know how many digits yeah. we're looking at?
1: So one, two, three... 1, two, th- six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 digits. What's a 15-digit number? Large. <laughs> Very large. Anyways, it's extremely high. Um, and uh, so the way it works is this. Player one rolls a double six, mm-hmm. landing on the electric company, and they let the other player win it. Right. Right? They let the other player have it. Then player one still, the still player ones go because they landed, uh, they threw a double. Mm-hmm. So the, they, the play, player one rolls again, they do another double six and they land on Trafalgar Square. Right. Of course. Yeah. And they don't buy it. <gasps> yeah. Then because they rolled a double six again, they have another go. They roll a nine and they land on community chest on that last side of the board. Pick up the card. And by chance they get, or by community jest in this case, they get uh, the card that says bank error in your favour, collect £200. Oh. Okay. Now, player two, it's their go, their first go. They roll a double two, meaning that they land on income tax. They have to pay £200. Right. Now, because they rolled a double, they get to roll again and they roll an 11 and they land on Marleybone Station. Player 1, at this point, cannot buy it in an auction. So, Player 2 has to buy Marleybone Station. Right? Either they choose to buy it or there's an auction and Player 1 lets them buy it for an exceedingly low price. Okay? Then, Player 1 rolls... Um, player 1, it's Player 1's turn again. They roll a double two. Remember, they were on, um, what was it, Community Chest? Mm-hmm. Double two takes them to Park Lane, the first of the dark blue properties. They buy it. Then they've got another go because they rolled a double two. They roll a double one and they land on Mayfair. They buy that. Then they roll again with any roll that doesn't land on income tax or chance. They collect £200 from the bank. Now, (laughs) before the end of their turn, they buy two houses on Park Lane and three houses on Mayfair. Now, it's player two's turn. They roll a seven. They land on chance. They draw a card which says...
0: Go to Mayfair.
1: Advance to Mayfair. Ah. They land on Mayfair. Three houses. They can't afford the the rent and they go bankrupt. Player one wins. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, there you go. Uh, To guarantee... Here's another statistic that I can actually say. To guarantee this game occurring... You would potentially have to play Monopoly for 70 billion hours, or you'd have to play it for 8,051,112 years until this version of the game actually happened by chance.
0: Right. Or have loaded dice.
1: Or just cheat, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) somehow.
0: (laughs) Wow. And what's the longest game ever played?
1: I don't know. I think it's one that I played with my family when I was about <laughs> eleven on uh, during a summer holiday in uh, in southern France. Wow! In nineteen eighty nine, I think I think that was it.
0: And was it more <laughs> than a day? Was it?
1: Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know actually. What genuinely longest uh, ever? I, I've
0: got it. I've got it. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah, I got it. So um, the longest game lasted for seventy days, although. The Guinness Book of Records, which is obviously the only f- official document of, of records, mm. um, puts the longest game at a mere sixty-one hours.
1: Okay, sixty-one hours though—that's yeah. Blimey. How does that? How is that possible? You can keep well, going for sixty-one hours because they're not hours. playing
0: the proper rules. <laughs>
1: that's what it is. Yeah,
0: that's what's going obviously, on. Obviously,
1: free parking is 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 the thing that's keeping that one going. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you go. I mean listeners you're all now armed with all sorts of uh strategies and uh inside information about how to win at monopoly but remember what i said at the beginning it doesn't really matter if you win or lose ultimately it's the taking part that that counts and yes. it's just fun to enjoy the world of monopoly And to see the game unfold, literally, in terms of the way you open the board. But also to see the way that it unfolds in terms of, you know, how the roll of the dice can just make everything happen this way or that way. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for... uh,
0: Thank you. Thank you. Mm. I am looking forward now to my next game of Monopoly with all that insight. Because I'm certain I'm going to win.
1: Yeah. Buy up. Buy properties, buy, buy, buy at the beginning. All the cash that you have, put it into the into houses. Um, you can always just sell those houses and get the cash back. So just put all your money on the board and hope for the best, and and, um, and be ruthless, uh, yeah. but it but be nice if that's possible.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, will do. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much, too, for for, uh, for being on the show. And so now we're going to record an episode of your show about board games in general. Yes. And, because there are so many others. It's not just Monopoly, of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Lovely. Looking
0: forward to it. And Let's do Me it. Me too.
1: Okay. <laughs> so who wants to have a game of Monopoly now? Are you just well up for playing Monopoly at this point after listening to Anna and me talk all about it for 80 minutes. Uh, Maybe that's the case. Maybe. Maybe you're thinking, I'm going to play Monopoly. And they don't even sponsor this podcast. Like the makers of Monopoly have nothing to do with this podcast, but we've just given them 80 minutes of wonderful publicity there uh, for for nothing. I mean, so if the people who made... If the people who make Monopoly listen to this, then, you know, i tell you what you could do. You could send me that lovely $2 million gold Monopoly set. That would be probably adequate compensation for all of this publicity that I've given to you, because no doubt, millions of people now are going to go out and buy brand new Monopoly sets after listening to this, because everyone listens to this podcast. All of the top most important people in the world, uh, I have their attention and i'm i have i'm extremely influential so just bear that in mind okay i'm i'm talking to the makers of monopoly the here you know the guy that monopoly guy the little guy with the mustache and the and the has he got a hat what mr monopoly mr monopoly that's it he's a guy in a black suit he's got a black top hat he has a sort of a stick in his hand a, a walking stick or a cane or something and he's got, yeah, white moustache, black suit, black top hat, black cane. Uh, he's very happy. Presumably, this is the banker, is it? Is this the banker? The banker or the wanker? I don't know. Um, but the guy who's in charge of Monopoly. Mr. Monopoly. Dave Monopoly. He doesn't have a monocle. When you pictured the Monopoly guy, the guy from the Monopoly box, the Monopoly game, when you picture the guy, a little guy, round head, white moustache, black suit, top hat, did you also think, yeah, he's got a monocle, hasn't he? A monocle is like, uh, you know, glasses. Glasses are on both eyes, a pair of glasses. A monocle is just for one eye. And it's normally attached by a piece of string to, not a piece of string, like a chain or something to your clothing. And you can put the monocle in one eye, Right, That's a monocle. Did you think, oh yeah, I know Mr. Monopoly. Yeah, Dave Monopoly's got a, he's got a monocle. No, he hasn't. This is an interesting thing. Um, this is an example of, what is it, the Mandela effect, where millions of people all have the wrong memory. They've all got a false memory. We all seem to think that Mr. Monopoly has a monocle, but he's never had a monocle. So that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, the Mandela effect. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? Okay, tangent. This is a big tangent. The Mandela effect is, is um, the name for, well, the, the thing I just described, when people en masse, like thousands or maybe millions of people, uh, remember something falsely. And I think it gets its name from the fact that apparently there were millions of people who, who thought that Nelson Mandela had died. Um, and um, they obviously were wrong because he well he has died now oh god this is confusing obviously he's now dead isn't he he died in 2013 but before he died when he was still very much alive it seemed that thousands of people thought that he was thought that he was dead when he wasn't this is fascinating stuff luke never mind the Insights that you gave us about Monopoly. The stuff about Mandela and the Mandela effect is just wonderful, Luke. Mm, I'm not sure. I think maybe I'm I'm making a meal of this here at the end of the episode, which I didn't really intend to do. Let me come back to the Mandela effect, maybe in a moment, just to tie up that that this tangent that I've found myself on. Um, instead, let me just say this. Let me let's bring my let's bring this back to. The Monopoly episode that you've just heard. Thanks very much to Anna for her contribution. I should say that I do feel like I monopolized the episode. Um, I don't know if any of you noticed that or were bothered by that, but I brought Anna on and then I did like more talking than her. Um, So I just wanted to say that Anna actually was the one who instigated the whole thing in the first place. She suggested the topic. And like I said, at the beginning of the episode, she said, Oh, how about an episode on Monopoly? And I said, Yes, definitely. Fantastic idea. In fact, the thought had crossed my mind before, while playing Monopoly with the family. You know, we just talking about the game and talking about strategies. And I had said, Oh, it would be good to do an episode about Monopoly, wouldn't it? Although, to be fair, that I do say that about pretty much everything. Whatever I'm doing, if it's good, then I'm like, oh, I should do an episode about this. <laughs> I, don't know if it's a, I don't know if I've got a problem there with that. But anyway, uh, thanks to Anna for sort of giving me a shove, poking me and saying, let's do an episode on Monopoly and then being sort of gracious enough to let me the majority of the talking Uh, maybe you didn't notice that uh, and you would have just innocently ended the episode and you would have thought ah great but now I've said it, you, you're you now thinking, actually, now that you have said that, Luke, yes, you did monopolise the conversation. I think it's fine. It's no big deal. Everything's all right. Um, but, yeah, I just had lots of things to say. But anyway, thanks to Anna for her contribution to the episode. It was lovely to have her on the podcast again. And, uh, yeah, as you heard uh, us mention there at the end of the conversation, you can now go and listen to Anna's episode of her podcast all about board games because we continued the conversation and talked about lots and lots of other board games. And she was the host. And so, yeah, she did a bit more talking. So if you want to hear more from Anna, you can go listen to her podcast, English Like a Native. English Like a Native Podcast. That's what you can search for English Like a Native Podcast. And you should find probably near the top of the list or somewhere in the list, an episode about board games with Luke from Luke's English Podcast. Okay, so go and check that one out. We had a good conversation about that as well and talked about other things like Scrabble and chess and stuff like that. Okay, so the Mandela effect. I should probably um, just deal with that. Okay, what is the Mandela effect? I'm reading from a website called techtarget.com. The Mandela effect is an observed phenomenon in which a large segment of the population misremembers a significant event or shares a memory of an event that did not actually happen. Uh, Fiona Broome, a paranormal researcher, coined the term to describe collective false memory when she discovered that a significant number of people at a conference she was attending in 2010 shared her memory that Nelson Mandela had died in prison during the 1980s. In fact the former president of South Africa was released from prison in 1990 and was very much alive at the time of the conference so no doubt Fiona Broom this researcher was at a conference and she maybe said I you know what I felt like I'm sure that Nelson Mandela died in prison in the in the 1980s but he he's alive of course but I I'm I, I'm sure that uh, I remember him dying in prison and apparently a significant other a significant number of other people, like you know what? Yeah, I thought that too. I'm sure that he died too. I distinctly remember news reports about it, but whew, no news reports had ever been made about the death of uh, Nelson Mandela at that time. So, hmm, this is interesting. What is the Mandela effect? Well, that this is what we're talking about. Why does this happen? And I mention this because um, the the monopoly guy, Mister Monopoly, Dave Monopoly, or whatever we want to call him. Doesn't have a monocle, even though everyone seems to remember him with a monocle. Hmm. Continuing the article, according to quantum theory enthusiasts, the Mandela effect presents evidence that the multiverse does exist. (gasps) So maybe this means that there are alternative universes in which Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 1980s and Mr. Monopoly has a monocle. Uh, This belief is based on the idea that within each universe, parallel realities and alternate versions of events and objects are present and mixing with the timeline. In psychology, however, the effect is sometimes compared to déjà vu. Déjà vu, listeners, are you aware of that? This is the word in English that we use to describe that feeling when suddenly you, you, you're, you're, you feel certain that you've experienced this before. You've seen this before. Wait a minute. This seems very familiar. You can just be in some situation. It could be anywhere. Maybe you're just um, in, a, in a room or a building that you've never been in before. You're walking down a corridor and then suddenly, whoa, wait a minute. I'm sure this has all happened before. You get that overwhelming feeling that you're seeing this for the second time. And we call that déjà vu. And that's French, of course, meaning seen it before. But we say, oh, oh, my God, déjà vu. Whoa, really strong déjà vu. In the film The Matrix, this is this is put down to being a, uh, a glitch in The Matrix, right? Oh, déjà vu. Now, psychologists say that the Mandela effect, this fact that so many people misremember something is similar to déjà vu and can be explained by the human capacity for confabulation, the unintentional, unintentional distortion of memory. Confabulated memories, which are often associated with the brain's frontal lobes, may seem every bit as clear and detailed as events that have actually happened and are not intentionally created to deceive. So, if you if you thought that mr monopoly had a, a monocle a little like lens in his eye if you thought you know i'm certain that he had a monocle uh well that might just be a sort of psychological phenomenon associated with your brain's frontal lobes which can make this memory seem extremely clear even though it never actually happened, uh, other people believe that the Mandela effect is linked to conspiracies involving the Large Hadron Collider and the rupture of the space-time continuum. <laughs> what? Yeah, but you know what? i I felt deja vu before they it, it created the Hadron Collider in Switzerland. But maybe that's just maybe that's just what I think now. Maybe in reality, I never felt deja vu before the Large Hadron Collider was switched on. And I suppose if, according to this alternative theory, um, they broke the space-time continuum. And, I mean, is that possible that when they switched on the Large Hadron Collider, which is a sort of a particle accelerator in Switzerland, I believe... Is it possible that when they turned it on, they broke the space-time continuum, unleashing the chaos of the multiverse onto existence? If that is true, then it's not that bad, is it? Because it seems the worst thing that's happened is that people are like, Oh, Mr. Monopoly had a had a monocle, and uh, I'm sure Nelson Mandela died in prison. Like, that, If that's the worst it is, if that's as bad as it is, then it's not that bad, is it? It's not like... A rift in the space-time continuum opens and thanos walks in with the infinity gauntlet going you know i'm gonna kill you all it's not that bad it's just that we think that a little a little character on the front of a monopoly box had a monocle when he didn't i can live with that to be honest i could live with that in fact maybe i am already living with it um the mandela effect is relevant to project management and human resources as well as other areas of business, careful documentation is essential to ensure that details of agreements are clearly specified and not open to interpretation. In cases where specified details are not adhered to, the documentation can serve as proof of the original agreement. I suppose what this comes down to is the fact that people and our subjective memories are very unreliable, that we misremember things even though we are certain that something happened or we're certain that we saw something, we can be wrong uh, and not know that we're wrong. So ultimately, we are the most unreliable uh, sources of evidence, um, which is worth bearing in mind, isn't it? Uh, in in cases of, uh, you know, judicial procedure, justice and, and that kind of thing. God, how did we get onto this? How did we end up talking about the, the breakdown in the space-time continuum and the uh, unreliable nature of human subjective um, experience. I don't know. But this was a good episode about Monopoly. And um, even though they don't sponsor this podcast, they could if they wanted to. I am open for offers. Although, to be honest, the episode is done and it's out now. So you're a bit late. If Dave Monopoly is listening to this without a monocle on and he's going, hmm, this has been interesting. I think maybe I should in, I should sponsor this episode of Luke's podcast. Too late. The pub- podcast has already been published. They've already listened to it. But if you want to give me, you know, two million a $2 million gold and diamond encrusted Monopoly set as compensation, be my guest. Will it happen? Will it happen? Only Dave Monopoly can decide. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'm going to stop this nonsense now. Okay. Uh, but I hope this has been useful, instructive, lots of nice expressions and stuff came up in this episode. You can always go back through it, um, and check, check it again, you know, listen again, listen more clearly, listen more carefully. You can listen the first time to just try and get the general sense and then listen again. If you enjoy an episode, listen to it twice. You can do that. In fact, I suggest that you do that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever listened to an episode more than once? It can actually be a really fruitful exercise in learning English because, believe me, trust me, you will notice language a lot more clearly the second time round. The words and phrases will really jump out at you the second time round. Listen a third time round and you will become even more familiar with all the bits and pieces, the little bits of language, the turns of phrase that we used and the way we said things. It's very much recommended. Listen to episodes more than once. I know you've got a lot of episodes to listen to and they're quite long, but it's true. Listening to episodes more than once can be a very good idea. It can really help you to notice language, remember language. Also, repeat, you know, Use your voice. Repeat after me. Repeat after my guests. Repeat things that you hear. Okay? That's a very good idea. Uh, But that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much. No more rambling at this point. I will just leave you here uh, to consider um, whether or not uh, the multiverse is real uh, and if it really matters anyway. Um, You could now go and have a little um, sandwich. There's an idea. Have a jam sandwich strawberry jam sandwich. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Don't worry about the multiverse. Just have a strawberry jam sandwich and have a game of Monopoly next time you're with your family or friends. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. Speak to you again soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye, Bye. bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80%
1: less than similar brands.